one. All right, guys, welcome to the bar, to the not the Barbell Medicine Podcast. Wow, great start. Welcome back to the Adam Fitness Fit Fitness Podcast. Um, I have Claire Torzai on the podcast. She is for Barbell Medicine. I am not Barbell Medicine. She is Barbell Medicine. Um, but she is a powerlifter and a strength athlete. Um, she is like uh, nationally competitive. Um, in the uh, even all over the place with weight classes, like between sixty-seven and half and seventy-five, if I'm correct. Um, mm -hmm. But she has received a bachelor's degree in physiology and neuroscience from the University of Colorado um, Boulder as well as um, working with biomechanics and high-level athletes with amputations. Um, she also is involved in performance research and applying at medical school to, to pursue her, her commitment to women's powerlifting, health, and edu education through science and medicine. Um, and she is just freaking strong. And, like, her her, like her page is to pull, like, tons of, like, really, really – I think Claire has a very unique way of communicating things. Um, I, I've noticed that in particular of women – in really every single aspect of um, you know any sort of discipline or study, because you know the reality is that most of the most of the time you know most of these most industries are dominated by, by by men. But I was talking with my one of my my, my friends, um, Joe Ashley, just before this podcast about like how like the people that he's had in his workspace have been like women that've been like the most like impactful. And so I wanted to sort of uh, first off thank Claire for, for for coming on. If, I, if there's anything I missed or anything that you wanted to talk about yourself. Um, before you proceed. <laughs> no, you did your research. Yeah, I have my master's from CU and I coach with BBM and I powerlift. That's kind of me in a nutshell. So yeah. So awesome. So I want to sort of first like talk about like sort of like women in like strength sport in particular, because I think that recently it's been really awesome seeing like especially the past like couple of years, like there's been so much more women getting involved in um strength sport. Um, so I want to sort of, and, and you just did one thing called like lift women, which is basically, if I'm correct, um, going towards empowering more women in strength sport. So I want to sort of ask yeah. you about like, sort of like what your view is on women in strength sports and um, why women in particular should actually strength train. Yeah. So I just ran load women. It's a fundraiser that I run every year to encourage women to get involved in sports and science and encourage communities to create spaces that are healthy for women to be involved in that in those activities and so the reason that's so important to me is because for many women who have been strength training they describe it as this transformative kind of experience that they have that introduces them to a new kind of empowerment or a way that they can exemplify their own power and their own um not experience, but they can exemplify their own, shoot. The words are completely escaping me. That's okay. Their own kind of power, I guess, will work for now. And from there, they can access a different kind of personality or person or embody a different kind of life that they see for themselves. And so for many women, they describe this transformative nature. And so just on this social level, it's really important for women to be able to access that. On a health and performance level, women who are capable of strength training or make capable of getting into the gym and capable of accessing that form of training are going to have better health outcomes and women are less likely to meet the physical activity guidelines than their male counterparts. And in sports, women are less likely to be lifting weights than their male counterparts. And we see that kind of crop up in injuries that occur more systematically in women than they do in men. And so for not only 
health, longevity, and performance, women should be lifting weights more consistently. And that's why load women is so important to me to get them, to get women training and also to get them into science so that we have a better understanding of how women's bodies perform on the field, in training, and how lifting affects their lives. So, yeah, I, I think it's, I think that's so important because I think that one of the things that women have always been taught, and there's a lot of sense to do like social conditioning, right? With women saying, you know, like be small, take a lot, take a lot less space, don't train, you know, smile, et cetera, lots of these, lots of these things. And so strength training is largely counterculture to that. And I think that's one of the reasons why it can be so empowering for women. It's like, oh, there's actually another side of, like, I can embrace this part of my, fem- my femininity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get to co-opt the idea of strength being only a masculine trait and say, nope, I choose for it to also be a feminine trait. And it honestly has nothing to do with either. But because of the way that our society is shaped, we do get to tap into that through lifting and that aspect of tapping into that and recognizing that is the transformative action. Yeah, well, 100%. I think that one of the things I think is awesome about most people that get into the strength sports is we kind of all have like the shared, like sort of like similar, like shared trauma is what I call it. We all have similar things that like drive us, similar things that got us, got us into it. Like, for example, for me, it was my eating dis- dis- disorder and overcoming it. It was like, okay, this is something that's yeah. like, it helps make me feel strong. And because I think I can relate a lot um, to women's like, you know, being to like feeling small or like, lots of these like, you know, things that women are kind of dealing with from a psychological level that most men do is I have that, that, that background. Um, and so I kind of wanted to ask you about like, sort of like, what got you into strength training? Like what made you sort of embrace it so well? And what also drives you to be such a, a powerful force uh, and like voice in women's strength sport? Because there's, you are one of those people. Yeah. So I think the thing that I really enjoy about strength training is I enjoy challenging myself in the gym every day. That is just something that I enjoy. And I'm lucky enough to just enjoy the act of training. Not everyone is lucky enough to enjoy that. And so part of it is luck that I just enjoy this thing. And it also helps that I respond well to training and I continue to get stronger and I am capable of accessing the resources within training and having a coach. All of those things are, are gifts that I've been given. I think for me, for like my guiding light to encourage more women to train is that I have seen and experienced the old boys club that kind of comes with lifting sometimes, especially in powerlifting. And I want to create a space for women where it's not all black and red. It's not all, you have to go as hard as you can every day in the gym in order to progress. I want this measured, reasonable, um, vernacular that helps them understand what is happening when they're training and how to create change that actually helps them meet their goals. So that's what my guiding light is, is that it's been transformative for me as a woman. And I see where there is this need for us to create high quality information for women that doesn't have to play to them being women, but speaks to the experiences that we are more common to commonly having as a collective gender of um, having to fight misogyny, having to fight this um, all out or nothing kind of mentality and instead flip it to be like, no, there is a measured reasonable way to do this that is backed by science and um, is not gimmicky in your, in using you to buy things that you don't need. So I see two sides of fitness often. 
you see the side of fitness that is women trying to co-opt other women into training programs that are subpar, but based on someone being a woman. And then there are these programs that are typically built by men that are like, you must go all out. You have to um, just run yourself into the ground. And it's really, really intense. And there's a happy medium in between the two where we can have strength training that is based around us just being human and humans respond to training very similarly. And we can use science to back that up. Yeah, I think that what you said, especially about like, um, you know, there definitely is some sort of mentality among men, like I have to go really hard and having to like, um, you know, have that ego attached to things um, and mm -hmm. training. So definitely, I mean, I think that I, I like how there's been much more talk, talk about how training should actually probably be a little more intelligent than that. Um, especially with, yeah. you know, I, I like my favorite thing, honestly, has been like the whole progressive loading conversation that Barlow yeah. has been putting out. Like, that's how you, how you actually could get stronger. And, you know, everybody will respond slightly differently. Like, for example, my favorite example is John Hack. The dude could just go at RP like basically 10 all the time and get stronger. Mm -hmm. But that's not most people. And, you know, creating programs that are accessible and there's like less of that, oh, this is really, really intimidating for me to get into. I think that's a, a really big barrier to physical activity in general is mm -hmm. and not just just powerlifting as people think it takes a lot of time it's going to be really hard it's going to to suck and it really shouldn't be that way and i think for mm -hmm. women in particular what they look at is like well this is a male dominated sport what's going to happen to me if i do this do i have to like sort of like ditch my femininity or ditch like this is something like you know women can't do and i think that i mean at my gym especially like there's basically equal men and women because our the woman that does own the gym she has a woman's fitness company and so most of the time when i'm training there's girls getting after it they're you know getting after their goals or just you know getting after their, their strength and i i think there's a lot of confidence that can be gained from for, from that absolutely yeah and i think it's important to to note and something that i think gets lost sometimes is that when we say intensity or women are afraid of not giving up their femininity, but they have to tap into this like very intense side to be a powerlifting or to be a powerlifter. That's not entirely true. Like you can do it moderately and that's totally okay. And everyone will respond differently. Um, and I think that the women that we do see in the gym, even though it on a not only US and global level is less than the access we see in men, uh, people who have successfully created spaces for women to train are tapping into a, a market that is fantastic. So, and it doesn't have to be this idea that women, so the thing that we have to recognize is that women have been built into a frailty narrative for a lot of their life. This is a concept that a lot of women are introduced to like, oh, you're a woman, you must be careful. Oh. Uh, we see this kind of in how science questions are asked, like, why do women tear their ACLs more than men? And it ends up in this naturalization of how we see women's bodies of like women are naturally weaker than men, which isn't true. This is just how society has kind of shaped the narrative around women. And so when they get to the gym and they're like, oh, I'm here and now I must be careful. That's not the the narrative we want either we want no you're resilient and you can access this intensity and we want you to but you don't have to only be intense you can have both yeah yeah well 100 um yeah i think just about really just getting 
for people in, into the gym, trying to, mm -hmm. you know, they're actually trying it and seeing like if they, if they like it and pretty important that they do enjoy too. Um, so I wanted to sort of ask you like going off of that then, um, are there any like major differences that you think in like programming for women or men in your practical experience? Yeah. So when I intake a female client to start with me for training, there is no change that I make because they are a woman. There's nothing that I say like, oh, you're a woman. I must do this. Instead, it's all right. What are the experiences you have had in the gym? When I talk to them, I ask them, what are the experiences you've had in the gym prior or in sports that are shaping or are impacting or that you are worried about as you enter into training with me? So we talk through that. We talk through those like barriers that they've maybe met before, what they've overcome already, and how we can continue to build confidence for them going forward. That being said, I like to think of people as humans first and their gender second, or humans first and then their sex second. So both of those are impactful aspects of training and things that can create differences, but the humanness that we have that is shared is more similar than the dichotomy that arises from either sex or gender. And so I want women to focus on high quality training and training that is based in this progressive loading style. So the training is meeting you where you're at. It's repeatable and it's auto-regulated. It's kind of enveloped into the idea of um, progressive loading, but then it is also um, not so hard that you can't continue to do it. So that's kind of the repeatable part and it's adaptable. So that's also built into progressive loading. So all of those things are what I'm focusing on when I start any client. And as someone who focuses more on trying to get women into training, there is nothing that I am, excuse me, uniquely concerned about for women specifically, other than the social cues and context with which they are coming to me to chat. I think that's exactly like, I, I love the answer just first off, because um, I, I've talked to, and I, people will always ask me like, you know, like, well, what do you do with like your female clients? I'm like, nothing like I, it's the exact same pro like structure of like find out for like a male client. Like, what do you respond best to? How much volume do you need? How much intensity do you need? What it this, this into your lifestyle? What do you enjoy? Because like we said, you know, that sustainable part and what you can actually make progress with. Like we are humans, we fundamentally respond at a pretty similar level. Now there are maybe some differences that might arise, you know, as a result of different things. But I think it's less because like what you said, because it's just men versus women. Because if you look at like, for example, like men that are lighter, they have similar training needs as women do. Um, and a lot of this yeah. comes down to just putting the person like as they are, not putting them in, into boxes. I think that's really mm -hmm. a lot of problems in like, this in, like, a, like a more metaverse concept. Like a lot of things happen in like our problems because we treat people like in boxes, put them into boxes, and don't treat them as, as individuals. That's one of my, yeah. my favorite parts about powerlifting is that it's so individualized. Yeah. Everything is on a spectrum, right? And all of these things happen not as one or the other, but you're going to respond somewhere on the spectrum of positive, negative, incredible, however yes. you want to organize it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think there's another cool part about that. There's like training response. I know that Greg Knuckles has talked about this, about some people are like really fast responders to training. They make really, really fast progress. And those are people mm -hmm. like, typically like, oh, they're going to be like the great person and forever. And like, but like, that's not how most people are though. It's like, it's very slow and very steady. 
towards the top. Yeah. That's why that sustainability part is so important because like, for example, like, like for you, like you probably didn't have a, like a 500 dots immediately. Right. No, not immediately. <laughs> Took a yeah. while. Uh, yeah, the way I, think, I like to go ahead. You go ahead. No. The way I like to describe that phenomenon is when you're looking at a lifter over their career, they're not the same lifter at the beginning and the end. So why would we assume that two people are the same? Right. So if there's no intra, no intervari intravari interperson variability between people, why are we assuming that there's intraperson, right? So I like to use the phrase, you don't cross the same river twice. So even within one person, they're going to change over time. That river will change over time and we'll need to make new adjustments based on who they are now and the stresses they are experiencing now and how they have experienced training in the last however many years we've been working together. So. Mm -hmm. So going off of that, I think that because we all need to talk about progressive loading and there's probably some of my people in my audience that don't exactly know what that is. Um, would you mind explaining that a little bit? Exactly. Yes. So progressive loading is the idea that your programming is meant to meet you where you are at. So you are going to do the amount of work. So sets and reps in this case for powerlifting that you are capable of doing and are capable of recovering from within a certain period of time. And you're going to do a weight at which you can do those sets and reps and recover from them. And the goal is, is that over time, if you continue to do those sets and reps, eventually you will get strong enough that you can either do more sets and reps or you can do more weight. So the program is always matching you where you are at instead of it being, I'm going to push so, so hard and then I'll be able to do more weight. It's not that you get stronger and then you lift more. Sorry, it's not that you lift more and then you get stronger. It's actually that you get stronger and then you can lift more. So the idea of progressive loading is this idea and why we use auto-regulation is because that will dial the program to specifically what you need. And to define auto-regulation, that is using either RPE, which is the rate of perceived exertion to determine how much weight you're doing, or you're going to auto-regulate sets and reps to match what you're capable of doing a certain weight at. Hmm. And you'll have caps in order to, to manage that. Yeah, I, I really like that concept because it essentially it helps people understand like, it's like one of my old, old things, like a lot of people kind of tend to feel pretty beat up in training. And I think that a lot of that becomes like they're trying to overextend like where they're actually at. Instead of understanding that like really largely with these adaptations, like it's on, as Dr. Brocky and Dr. Fagamon want to say, they're on their own time, of course. And you have yeah. to just be, be, be patient. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess like knowing like when to increase the load, because I know that um, there's typically two sort of ways that typically you'll program intensity um, for progression. Like there's this bike to shear reactive training system approach is a little bit more kind of like, you know, single or triple or whatever it is benchmark set at eight versus the more progressive R RPE. Um, how would you, how do you prefer to program for that? Do you think like there's like one of those is like better in terms of incorporating like progressive loading? Because like, I think one of my only, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of sense in like that, like single at eight um sense but mm -hmm. one of my questions is like well there's some psychological things with there but maybe you had less sleep maybe you're more stressed yeah. out so it feels harder but it's not actually harder like what do you think is like the best way to sort of like incorporate this progressive loading into a program for like an intensity like progression standpoint hopefully that, that makes sense 
I think I'm going to ask some clarifying questions to make sure I, I'm understanding your question correctly. So are you asking how to incorporate auto regulation and progressive loading into the single at eight? Well, like or... how, more so how did, how do you know when to, when to put more weight on the bar? Like, what would you look for in terms of oh. like an RPE decrease or something like that? Like, like knowing that. Yeah. Does that, does that yeah. Make sense? So, yes. So how I organize it. So I will run clients with singles at eight, depending on the client, some of them like it year round and that's fine. And how I instruct them to know when they are ready to take on more weight or more, um, or if like we're going to change something and do more reps, what I'm looking for and how I instruct them to do their warm up is what helps them determine if that day they can take more weight. And then over time, we're able to look retrospectively to see how well their training is going and to see trends in their training. So when I have a client warm up, I'm asking them to be rating their RPE all the way up and they're constantly evaluating. All right, I feel pretty good today through my five to seven warm up sets that I'm consistently taking every time I'm doing this exercise, I either feel better or worse than average on these sets. And then when they take that last warm up set, I instruct them it should be somewhere between seven and 5% from their expected top set. And after a few weeks, they have an expected idea of what they're looking for. And they should be within 5% of that expected number. And that number should be reasonable. It's not going to be 20 pounds heavier than last week, probably. And when they take that last warm up, they either say, man, that is easier than it's been all block. I'm going to take a larger jump or that was a little harder than I wanted it to be. I'm going to take a, a mediocre jump. And sometimes you take that last warm up, and lo and behold, it's your single at eight and you're done. <laughs> and you didn't know it before you got yep. there. And so that iterative process, every time they come into the gym is how they determine if they're going to take more weight that day or not. And then together that client and I can look back and be like, all right, are you progressing every week? If not, because eventually that stops. Uh, if you are progressing every week, great. If not, are you progressing block to block? Is your block average higher each week? No, or sorry, is your average higher each block? If not, then we need to start looking for other ways that we're looking for progress. So is there less drop-off between this block and the next block? Or that's kind of what we're starting to look for when we're looking for other forms of progress that are telling us that the programming we're doing is working, but maybe we need to find something else that we're focusing on in order to see progress. Cause it's not gonna be in these small little increments anymore. Over time, it will take a month, six months, a year, two years for you to see PRs in the gym and that's okay. I really think that makes a lot of sense. Basically like having what I would call like an indicator weight then to sort of determine like, is this a good day or not? Yes. Um, and I think that yes. actually, Subconsciously, that's something that I do too. Like, yeah. especially like like at my meets, like I was running up for my spot. I'm like, this is average day. Like, I'm not peaked. Yeah. Like, this does not feel good. No. Like, I just I just knew, and so I basically adjusted my my plan downward a little bit. Actually, that mm -hmm. makes a lot a lot of, of really good sense. Um, and Amelia, that's something I haven't really been telling many of my clients to do. I think it's something like I subconsciously I'm like, oh, like 595 on deadlift is around like where I know like is this a good day or a bad day? But I think that's a really really amazing takeaway. Yeah is to have like mm -hmm. a consistent repeatable process in training. Just like, as you would with like your program, like warming up to like your same weight that you're going to do on that day. 
Um, so if, for example, if you're out of curiosity, if you were to do like, uh, like say, you know, for one block, you're doing like six sets of five, going up to it, would you do like ramping weight, like that exact same amount of like reps going into your working set? Okay, so um, I don't, I, I typically yeah. don't keep in like singles year round for my, for my clients typically, yeah. I'd like undulate through rep schemes. Um, yeah, which you, that's is, is more that typical for me. Yeah. Yeah. So for that, I'm still having them. I, I want all of my clients to start with at most of the time. I don't like to say all most of the time. I like my clients to start with 10 reps with the barbell, unless they're doing more than that for reps, 10 reps with just the barbell. And then you're going to progress to like seven with your next warm up. And then let's say we're doing fives, then you're going to do fives and you're going to continue fives for the next three sets as you find that last warm up or your indicator weight as you perfectly named it. So for those instances, you're probably still going to be doing 5% up all the way up. Sorry, you're still going to be doing five reps all the way up until you get to about 5% from that top set. And then 5% before that top set, that's your indicator weight. And you're still using that um, input from your body to say, yes, I am ready to do what I want to do or no, I need to take a step back and focus on something else. So it is, so it is just to clarify that it's with like the same amount of like reps that you were doing for that first set, like it's like five reps, like five reps, it's like your top set of five, five reps all the way up to that top set of five. Mm -hmm. Yep. Gotcha. Okay, yes. Cool. So 10 reps with the barbell to start just because you, it's relatively light for most people, especially if you're warming up to a lot of weight and then uh, you're not going to drop below the number of reps that you're doing for your top set in your warmups. Okay, that makes sense. So if you're doing five sets for your, or five reps for your top set, you're doing five sets for your warmup. If you're doing 15 sets, reps, God, words. <laughs> you're doing 15 <laughs> reps for your top set, then you're gonna do sets of 15 all the way up. You're probably not gonna do that many warmup sets either because it's gonna take you yeah. phenomenal <laughs> amounts of time to get there, so mostly because none of us do cardio and therefore we just yeah. <laughs> run out of steam real fast. Yep. Awesome. No, thank you so much. I think that makes, that makes um, complete, complete sense. Um, so yeah, no, I think that's something like, I think that more, a lot of listeners can take away and like battle better, like actually gauge, like that's essentially how you know, how strong are you getting? Are you actually getting stronger or whatnot? Is that indicator mm -hmm. weight? And then that determines your jumps for the, for that, that, that day. And I think one of the things I would encourage lots of lifters is that I think that Lots of times they will get really frustrated with themselves that they're like learning the skill of RPE and auto and auto regulating, and also become mm -hmm. a lot more attached to those full fluctuations. But I think that yeah. what mostly matters is just being intentful and just have like being like reflective, saying how many reps do I think I could have could have gotten. Um, mm -hmm. And a really easy way to like sort of like for lifters are also like like a safe way to like have them learn how to fail is like on isolation joint like exercise like single joints. Yeah. Um, so you kind of like learn oh that's how that feels. Um, yeah. Yeah. When you're using less muscle mass, that's the time to practice figuring out where failure is. And also, I don't think there's a problem with people failing lifts. I think it's a very healthy, normal thing to learn how to handle. Um, you should know how to handle a squat when you fail it. You should know not to dump it over your head. You should know to like hold on to it if you have spotters and carry it all the way up. Or you should know and be confident settling it, settling it down onto pins. All of these things are important to know um 
And what I always tell my lifters is when they're starting to struggle with these fluctuations, I'm like, all right, let's learn what performance is. Performance is the display of strength. And in order to display strength, you have to have less fatigue and you have to have more adaptations and those kind of work together in concert to create your performance or the display of strength you can show on any given day. And these little fluctuations just mean that some days you have more or less fatigue. Hopefully the adaptations aren't that different, but those fluctuations are normal and this is why they're happening. So. I, I, know, I know that I, I had that period of training this entire winter that was so frustrating. I just kept getting sick, like just sick and over and over, over again. I had the like fluctuations of fluctuations. I at least was like, I could do 500 by three reps on spot. And at least were like, that was like, I could not do that weight. And it was like the most frustrating thing ever. I know that you were telling me also, no, no, not, not, not me, another powerlifting America interview, like after your, your performance there, like it was like the, the most crazy, like all over the place of, of, of your, of your life, like anything happened. And I think that what you said, like, it's okay to fail. It's okay. Like you actually need to go through those, those experiences, like in order to know like, yeah. how to handle it, because it's like, um, I mean, Stephanie Cohen even talked about it, how like she like bombed out or she had like a bad meet or whatever, just like she would, or she wouldn't do like what she wanted on a certain lift, you know, just completely like detain her, her, her performance for like the rest of, of the meet or her report approach to that session. Like one of the things that I've learned how to do is like, if my main lift didn't go very well, okay move on to these accessories. There's still the whole ass workout to go through. Yeah. Um, and that's a way to get another win. And there's other ways also to look for progress because sometimes, you know, with the whole progressive loading thing, you might not really see strength going up too much one block on your lift, but Hey, maybe your price of pushdowns are going up. Maybe your dumbbell yeah. presses are going up. That's those could be like lagging indicators of progress to come or leading, mm -hmm. leading indicators of that lift actually progressing or it's just like, yeah, there's just, just more time. Yeah. I like to tell people that when, when training doesn't go well, that's okay. You still got a stimulus in, right. Which is still helping you build further adaptation down the line. Just because you weren't able to display a lot of strength right now, doesn't mean that the adaptation that you gleaned from that, uh, stimulus is useless. Right. So even if, so for example, my weights this week were down 10 kilos from last week. It doesn't mean that the 200 kilos that I've deadlifted this week are useless. It doesn't mean that. It means that my body was like, mm, if we go more than this, it's going to be a lot more fatiguing than if we just suck our ego up and deal with the fact that we're lifting 10 kilos less. And that's okay. Um, and so recognizing that the stimulus itself is more important than the adaptation or the display of strength in a training situation is way more important. And then once you have more than two meets under your belt, you'll start to recognize that with, not saying that you have two meets under your belt, but just generally when people start to have more meets under their belt, they start to recognize that even on the day of when we're supposed to be performing super, super well, we're still gonna have down days and that's okay. Um, and sometimes the, the lining up of fatigue and adaptation and like mental load don't all culminate in an meat of your life performance and not every meat can be the meat of your life. That would be antithetical. Uh, it just wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, no, I think that's a soundbite like right there. It's like, <laughs> you can't control your performance. Like you can try, put yourself in like the best spot of it. But you know that yeah. the stimulus is more important than the, the adaptation. Having the proper stimulus over time, reaching it, you know, like as long as the progress is going up over time too, like, like that, that, that's fine. And one of the things that you know you, you're so experienced, 
you know how to deal with those fluctuations. You know, nobody's like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of heal is not strong, but it's like it do be like that sometimes, as they as they say. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, you can't control it sometimes. Sometimes there's a lot of there are a lot of external factors that affect our performance. We like to think that the input that we put in is exactly the in, the output we get, and that's not entirely true. There's a lot of other things happening in our lives. We are complex creatures that affect training and affect performance and you will have bad days and learning how to deal with them is way more important than learning how to avoid them. So I think that's a really, really great segue into the next topic I have. And I think this is so important is like the role of self-talk and how that impacts like outcomes in training. Because I think this is a super like intangible thing um, that I really been, I really have been talking to my lifters about. It's like, you know, because sometimes, like one of the, for example, I'm going to put one example of this. My squat was styled out forever. I was just like, mm -hmm. and I realized one of the reasons probably, probably was because every single time I had squats, oh, I have squats. I'm not good at squats. I don't get stronger yeah. at squats. Same thing with, with, with my bench. I was styled out for over, over a year. Uh, it's bench. Nothing works on bench. My bench is never going to be good, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So how does that impact like your, your performance and actually like your long-term results? So the concept that you described is called a fixed mindset and a fixed mindset is the idea of things are static. They are never going to change. And we want to cultivate a growth mindset of, I am capable of making change within my life and my habits and my routines that will result in positive outcomes later on. And a growth mindset in training is going to allow you to handle those periods of stagnation a lot better and understand how you can kind of take steps in order to make those changes. So with my lifters and with myself, I always say, we don't ever say that a lift is weak. Um, there are no weak lifts. We are strong and capable because over time, our, I believe that, and this is a little bit less based in science. This is definitely a little more wishy-washy, wishy but I believe that our body can hear our brain very, very clearly. And when we tell our body, you're not good at this, our body's like, well, yep, guess we're not. And then it stunts your ability to creatively think of ways that you can make improvements. And you're like, all right, instead of saying this does not work, I'm going to give up or I'm going to continue doing what I am doing and it's not working. If you say I'm capable of growth and I'm capable of change, you can then target different things in training and try new things in order to succeed and grow and change. And that will, over time, there will be periods of stagnation and periods of plateaus that you have to work through. And not necessarily will those plateaus easily be overcome by a growth mindset, but it is going to be easier to tackle those things when you are kind of expecting yourself to grow and change over time. So do you have like any personal examples of that, like potentially like, like with, with yourself and potentially like impacting your training? Lots of them. Um, so for the longest time, the, for squats, the number that sticks in my head is 170 kilos. It's the number one time that you start loading three plates on the barbell. And every time, even now, when I hear 170 on the barbell or I see it for squats, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I just, no one can see yep. this, but like everything inside of me just like curls in on itself. And I'm like, oh, 
even though I do it for reps now, it's no longer a weight that is a, a max weight for me. And for the longest time, I was like, I'm never going to get 170. I'm never going to be able to do it. And so my coach and I decided we were like, all right, we won't. We're just going to skip 170 and we're going to go straight to 175. And that's what we did. And we just decided that 170 was a number for singles that I was never going to hit on the platform. I think even to this day, we've skipped it. Uh, I don't think I ever take 170 on the platform. Oh. 175, even though that's three reds in a collar now, I'll take that on the platform, but I don't know if I've ever taken 170. We just decided that we weren't going to deal with it. Um, and so I was able to say like, oh, instead of thinking about this number and saying that it's my limit, we were like, well, we know I'm strong. I can do 167 for reps and I can conceivably do 170. It just gets in my own brain. We are going to instead just say, we're going to skip it and stop psyching you out. And therefore now it is less of an issue. Um, similar things that people have asked me about, they're like, oh, do you have a favorite lift? And I'm like, yeah, whichever lift is going best at the point in time. And so powerful <laughs> answer. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yes, I have a favorite lift. It's whatever's increasing week to week weight on the bar. Um, which doesn't happen very often. But when people ask me that, I'm like, I have started to change my answer to say, I love all of the lifts. They all challenge me in different ways. And I have different aspects of the lifts that I'm working on currently to improve my lifts to be better. At this point in lifting, um, I don't see weekly progression anymore. That is not a thing I see. I actually have like a very consistent um, bi-weekly peak, right? Like mm. I'm up one week, down the next, up the next week, down the next. That is very consistent for me. That is kind of just how my lifting goes and I expect it. And so because I don't get that like instant gratification of I'm going up every week, I have to find other things to focus on in training. So some of those I've already talked about, and this is kind of helping you create a, a growth mindset is finding other objective and subjective ways to measure progress. So other forms of objective progress are my coach and I measure my block average and we like compare that to similar blocks. So other blocks where I'm doing triples on the deadlift, we're like, all right, this block is heavier on average than the last block, even though this block so for example, this block, I've had a 195 for triples, a couple of 200s, a 210, and I think a couple of 205s. So that's been my progress. And it's been all over the place. It's this little like jagged line, lots of noise. I still think it's crazy but, that you're that strong. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Side note. <laughs> but previous triples that I've had in blocks, I've been doing 195 to 205. So on average, my my lifts are heavier now. And so that's how we're measuring progress. It takes a lot longer to see that progress because I have to wait for the next block to see if I'm stronger, but it is more about me being like, all right, how can I improve my form or how can I maximize, be the most efficient? I know exactly what I'm doing and I know what a good lift feels like. How can I execute that well on every rep? So it takes a lot of internal knowledge and internal reflection to do that. And at the beginning of each session, so I used to work with a 
sports psychologist. She made me sit down before I put any of my gear on. And she was like, you're going to sit down and you're going to write down three goals for your session. And they cannot be number-based goals. They have to be some other kind of goal. And a lot of the time, my goal ended up being, I want to have fun. And I want to enjoy my training. And that enjoying your training makes it so much easier to actually focus on working hard in the gym and not getting caught up in this numbers game where we're comparing constantly to the internet, to other people who are lifting in the gym, which are not great comparisons, right? Everyone has their, as we have already discussed, their own experience, their own pathway to training and where they are. And we all have unique genetics. I get really frustrated when I see these reels on Instagram and on TikTok that are like the quote or like the voiceover is you say that it's so lucky that I look like this and that individual then goes well it's not luck it's hard work and that's kind of like the gist of the thing and I'm like no it is luck that you actually enjoy training and that you have access to the facilities and it is luck it's not hard it's not just hard work yes we all go in and you should have intention and you should be working hard but everyone works hard in the gym. Don't don't act like you're unique in working hard. Um, everyone know that too, right? Like, like you, you, have, you both have clients that do everything right. They don't make good, good, good progress. Yes, absolutely. But I have nothing wrong with that. Clients, yeah, I have clients who um, it has taken us way longer than I would like to admit as a high level coach to figure out what works for them. I've been working with one individual for a couple of years. And just now we are like, man, you respond well to high volume training. Like we're going to run you with sets of tw- 10 to 12 going into a meet. What an and, unfortunate training response. <laughs> right. <laughs> How miserable they are. Um, they're fine. They really enjoy it. And because it shows, it gives them progress. But for most people, I am often trying to help people see other forms of progress. So whether it's block averages or a smaller decrease from block to block or a higher block starting point or a higher block ending point or any of those things, all of those are reasonable ways to see objective progress. And then subjective progress would be you are less tired after training. Um, or you're, and that would indicate that you're recovering faster. Um, you have improved your sleep habits and then training is going better. That's an object. That's a subjective improvement resulting in training or that you will see results in training. All of these things that people do to be better in, in the gym, they don't have to be objective and it's okay to focus on them because that's what's going to cultivate that growth mindset as we've been took me a long time to circle that back around to growth mindset that was an amazing answer i I love everything that that you said there i think one other thing that's helped me personally is having other things outside of the gym like that add value to my life and make me freaking happy like because the thing is that i remember like i I used to be so focused on training that was all that mattered and i was oh Mm -hmm. this is gonna make me better progress i'm hardcore whatever it's made me anxious as hell, man. Like I started hating the gym. Like if I had a big number or a big session, like I remember like in past piece, I would like be so anxious about hitting. I, I have to hit a certain number, which like looking mm-hmm. back now, I know, know now I'm like, that's stupid. You can't control that. Like, I would get so stressed out. And then like, 
because I didn't have anything, anything else. I'm like, well, my day's ruined now, and like everything sucks. But it's like mm-hmm. now it's like like people know like I'm really into like playing my music and my guitars, and I'm a huge nerd with like roller coasters, and like I oh, and like cool. I and I yeah I freaking I want to be a roller coaster designer. I feel like I had to do a lot of math, and I was like, no, I'm not been here. I do not like math, but. I was I just like having like other things outside of training. It's like I'm mm-hmm. a better person. Like my training is like it's like when I train training that goes doesn't go well. I'm like, well, I'm more than just a powerlifter. I'm more than exactly. just my strength training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to add two things. So first, going back to your idea of I want to, or I I'm gonna hit this number today. That idea, the the way I hear people talk about their numbers often, they're like, oh, I should be able to hit this, and I'm like, no. <laughs> you want to hit that there's nothing in the world no rpe calculator is going to be able to tell you that you should be able to hit that number because it cannot determine any of the life stressors that you're experiencing it cannot determine what training you've been doing it's just a correlate right so we get so wrapped up in the should and forget that that should is actually a want so that's the first thing and then the second thing is if we go back even a little further, I like to tell people that um, athlete is a mindset. So being an athlete, you don't have to compete to be an athlete. Being an athlete is a system of behaviors and processes that we go through in order to maximize performance in the gym. One of the things that makes you a successful athlete is doing things that are not at all related to your athletics, like you mentioned, and you said this. And doing things that make you happy and bring you joy so that when something else is not going well, you don't have all your eggs in one basket and you can instead find progress or performance gains in other things. So for you, it's music. For me, I love doing art. Um, I love to paint. And that's where I find external motivation to just or it's not even motivation. It's just external joy doing something else and focusing on friendships. And that's why so much of the time I'm like, Oh, I want my goal in training to be to have fun because my friends are there. So that's the whole point of training. It's like, why the hell else do you spend like all this time training? If it's not fun. And that's one thing well, that I yeah. will always remind my clients. So I was like, I'm like, is this fun? Like, are you having fun? Like, are you hey, having fun? Are you having fun? And they're like, no, this isn't fun. I'm like, bro, like, okay, so we need to change something. That's also not going to lead to as good of a good progress. Like, yeah. guess what? There are well, times you... where like, I had to be honest with myself. I'm like, oh, this isn't fun. And it's because I'm pushing all this pressure on myself. I should be doing this and I should be doing that. It's like, dude, chill, Bill. Yeah, yeah. The thing I like to tell people is um, if you are trying to train for a very long period of time, for health purposes, most humans are pretty bad at like long-term gratification. Um, We all, most people know that exercising is good for your health, right? And one of the barriers is just getting to the gym, it's time. And so humans are really good at having fun though. So if we can make training fun and that can be the focus, then the long-term benefits will happen on their own. So yeah, I, I, I think that really be what we're talking about here is process orientation versus outcome orientation. That's Absolutely. one of the things yes. I always tell my lifters too before big lifts. I see a lot of times when they're getting under like a single or whatever, they change something and like or they spend like more time like messing around with like their feet position or 
whatever like mm -hmm. underneath the bar that comes from like being anxious about the outcome it's like bro like just yeah. do what you normally do and then positive self-talk like you got this you know yeah. i'm gonna focus yeah. i'm gonna do my absolute best and hopefully it happens like yeah that was what i told myself all you can do is your best came up, exactly like my, my, my butt yeah. slightly came up on like 160 on bench and i was like mm -hmm. crap what do and then like i was like really concerned about it and i was like well is there anything i should also should have changed like no, that's probably pretty stupid. Like I gambled and I won. I just focus on like, I'm not really going to worry about it. In fact, I missed it. You know, it happened. I'm going to yeah. focus on controlling like I can control making this look and I made it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing that you control after that is what am I going to change next time in order to be successful, which would probably be not failing the lift, right? Yeah. You already have that experience. You don't need to Suck do it twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. How can you take better warm up attempts? What did you... Like if you look back at that indicator weight, what would you have changed? Um, are there external factors outside of training that you can use as a reason for why maybe this didn't go well and make changes to that? So I don't like to use external factors as excuses, but they are like before you get to training, like, oh, I slept badly. I'm going to have a bad training day. Instead, it's like, mm, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to see what I can do. I'm going to put in my best. And if I don't do well, then I know that, mm, yeah, maybe I didn't sleep enough last night. I should change that for my next training session. It's a reason to change, not an excuse to do poorly. Love that. Love that. So I guess last uh, topic I wanted to go over really quickly is sort of the role of technique and injury for prevention or like does technique even play a role in that at all? Um, it's, it's very, you know, it's, it's a little more, more nuanced than that. But um, how would you go about, I guess, a better question to leave this is when you're determining whether or not an athlete's technique is acceptable from a long-term mm -hmm. strength development standpoint and a safety, what things do you look for as, as a coach? That's a really good question. Um, for it, de it depends a little bit. If they're competing in powerlifting, I'm looking that they are meeting the technical standards of the powerlifting federation that they are competing in. That's kind of the end of that sentence, right? For powerlifters, you need to be meeting those those guidelines. For most other individuals, what I'm looking for, and this I guess also kind of applies to powerlifters, is I'm looking for you to be able to move the bar in a relatively straight line, um, as because that would be the most efficient path for most people, without extra movements that are causing other or that are not creating bar movement right so if you are moving in a way that is not causing the bar to move in the direction we want it to be moving in then it is a unuseful movement right so for example something that i consistently do when i deadlift is i throw my chin down <laughs> at the top of the lift and it's an inefficient part of my movement because it doesn't actually contribute to the forward bar path but when I'm talking about injury, there is nothing in particular that I'm concerned about for any lifter because I'm assuming that that person has progressed to that position and or movement pattern over time. They have progressively loaded, whether they know it or not, to that movement pattern. They started with less weight and they're continually moving to heavier weights. Where people are more likely to experience pain or injury is when they have 
not been well prepared for the movement they are actively doing. So I like to use this uh, analogy of a car crash. There is no amount of training that you can go through that is going to prepare you for the velocities um, and forces that occur during a car crash. You will most likely be hurt at those speeds with the weights of those vehicles. That's a, the nature of the world we live in. For training, a similar thing, if I was to walk in and I wanted to deadlift and I walked into the gym and I was like, hmm, I'm just gonna start deadlifting. And there's this deadlift bar that is already loaded with 800 pounds. I'm just going to pick that up. And I go and I pull on it and I'm completely unprepared, mostly from a history of training standpoint, that is more likely to injure me than if I walk in and I'm like, Hmm, 135, I can do that. That's fine. I'm prepared for 135. So I'm less concerned with form because I'm assuming most people's form is consistent within themselves. And I'm more concerned about them not being ready for the stimulus that is applied to them. For example, we're never gonna be uh, ready for a car, but we can progressively load to very heavy weights over time and be prepared for those in many positions. It doesn't matter which one. Yeah. In teaching that people are inherently very, you know, we were spending immense movement, many did, did different ways. Um, if we weren't very be, resilient creatures, exactly, we wouldn't like, and like, you know, I want to things I always tell like my clients too, a little more beginners is I feel my back working. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're supposed to feel your really back, back working, but that, yep. that, 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 that's fine. That's the point There's of training. There's a lot of muscle it's back like, there. That's fine. Like, one of my clients, he's like, I feel like my back kind of like grows. I'm a little concerned about like, like, why? So, well, I'm concerned that like, you know, I'm like, okay, like, you know, I, I might injure myself. I'm like, okay, cool. So, you know, first off, how much weight did you use? And he's like, oh, I, I used blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, how do you feel right now? I feel fine. That was just training. Like, you are going to be mm. oh, okay. And I also think that we all have different skeletons. We all have, all have different things that like we can't objectively see. And I do think that a lot of times when I coach technique, it's just as much coach driven saying, and then I, mean, I tell them, it's like, hey, my job is to give you suggestions your job is to experience movement and to sort of come to your own conclusion as to what mm -hmm. feels best for me, what is most repeatable and what's strongest yeah. for me. I do not care about how pretty somebody's lift looks. For example, I have very long fingers and a yeah. short torso. My spots can look ugly all the time. That, that's just how <laughs> I'm going to squat. You just are leaned over. It's fine. You just like <laughs> to like, look at whatever's on the ground between you your toes. Like, you just like tacos and you just want to eat tacos. <laughs> we just like but, to make like, fun of you because you're like easy fodder for jokes. It's fine. And then uh, I've done left and then, and then, and then I'm, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, spider, then it's fine. I'm spider monkey. I'm like a spider monkey. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always tell people that um, cues or advice or coaching is kind of like trying on hats. I have an entire wall of hats that I can give you to try on. And you can look in the mirror and you can be like, hmm, I like this hat. This hat looks good on me. And then you'll put on a different hat and you're like, mm -mm, not this hat. This hat does not work on me. And so I, I don't know why hats, it could be any article of clothing, but um, you try it. If it works, great. If not, it's my responsibility to find you a new cue. It's my responsibility as the coach to be like, all right, that didn't work. Try something else. And that's totally reasonable to find that a specific cue or idea or movement pattern doesn't work for you. That's fine. 
do something else. You'll, you can live a full and complete life without ever doing one of any of the movements we've talked about. If you don't like it, it's fine. Just find something else. Absolutely. Um, and one thing other thing I'll sort of end up on this is like, if one of my clients is saying, this feels good. I'm like, well, I guess we don't really need to change anything. But then if they're like, well, this like, I feel like this is a little off. Like, cool. Like, tell me a little bit more, more about that. And then you kind of come yeah. to like, well, maybe this is what you need to do. Like for example, one of my clients, they were saying, yeah, like heavy weights on squat. It like, just, I seem to like really have an issue with like pitching forward. I'm like, okay. Like how's like your foot pressure? He's like, I use heels. So I think I get a little bit more into my toes. I'm like, that was what I was thinking I was seeing too. And then like, you also just don't like really like resist that you know, flexion in your spine as much. I'm like, cool. So like this, when you're going down, just being like a little bit more pressure on your heels and then just back up, back up into the bar more. And it's like, oh, that, that was amazing. I'm like, okay, awesome. Just be, just be aware of that. Those are your two, 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 two cues. Um, and plus like the one of the goals of technique is to not really thinking about that stuff too much is to become like, um, it's like uh, unconscious competence with that. Yeah, I find that most people can only hold about one cue in their brain for the most part. And um, with heavy weight, you're probably not going to enact a ton of cues. Yeah. Um, once you're getting it. close, it's too heavy. You're thinking about how much it hurts sitting on yep. top of you. So, or you're thinking about waiting for commands in competition and you're just like, please tell me to press. Please. I want to ask you something about that actually. Um, this yeah. is off topic, but like, do you like not remember like in your lesson of powerlifting? It's like I don't remember anything. I like black out. I'm just like, I don't remember it. I get down with it. I'm like, I think I did that. <laughs> that happened to you um, too. Yes, Jordan and I have a running joke. Um, so Jordan's my coach. He goes to my meets with me. Um, we have a joke that I put in my headphones, and we don't speak for the next three hours because we don't. <laughs> communicate via voice we just communicate in hand signals for three hours straight and at the end he's like so what do you think i'm like i have no idea I, you were just hurting me around like an anxious cat so it's fine <laughs> yeah i remember yeah. almost nothing and i'm told i look super intense i i've seen the photos i look super intense um and most of the time people are like you seem so nice. I didn't think you would be that intense. And I'm like, I'm still nice and just intense. Yeah. It's so. like, this is just, this is just powerlifter player. This is game day player. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, yeah. There's nothing like going it's like, on. It's like up your here. alter ego. Well, it's like, and, that, and that's an yeah. important part of like being an athlete too, is like having like, and being able to tap into that, like other personality, like allows you to perform best. And that's just what you have to do. Uh -huh. There's nothing wrong yeah, with that. Yeah. And to circle back to our original conversation about the difference between men and women, women are not encouraged to tap into that other side of themselves, that intense side of themselves. And powerlifting is the one, not the one place they can, but one of the sports that really allows women to tap into that because you have to, it's the only, it's one of the only sports where you are truly hitting everything you can. And you are literally leaving it all out there on the platform. If you finish a soccer game, you could probably play for five more minutes, but if you finish a powerlifting meet and the attempts were made correctly and the calls were made correctly you have literally nothing left yep. you either failed your thirds and you have nothing left or you hit your thirds within two and a half kilos of what you wanted or what your capacity was for the day and you literally have nothing left and you have to be able to tap into that next level however you get there um many women will get there through anger 
which is not an emotion that we're encouraged to express very often. And so that's what's so cool about powerlifting is that it really does tap into that next level that is so intense. So I think, I think one of the cool things too about that, it, you learn things about yourself you never would otherwise. Absolutely. I think that's one of the most cool things for everybody. Like, I mean, I knew it, it was intense before I got into powerlifting, but that's okay. <laughs> well, powerlifting has like taught me, like, I can do hard things, like every aspect of like everything that has to be like for me, because like, truth be told, I'm very open and vulnerable about, about this. Every time I'm, I'm like, I need a little bit of a weight class. Man, my eating disorder comes in my head. And I'm just like, yeah. it's like, no, stay like, nope, like, scared of fat gain. I found mm-hmm. it every day. People ask me, like, do you, do you, is it, does it get easier? I'm like, yes and no. Like, I'm better at telling like Ed to shut up. I call it, you know, my eating disorder Ed. He's a, <laughs> like he's a dick. I don't him. like him. Um, but like, <laughs> it's just like, you're always going to have like that part of yourself and like it, you're always going to be like learning things about yourself but like i have learned like i can tell ed to like stop and everything i have in my life like the reason like i, I mean i cry like after like the power to me is like it's not just like lifting weights like it's like i've learned so much about myself and mm-hmm. you talk to all so many people about their stories like, i listen like let's anybody who's listening let's listen to King Lewis podcast any lecture in an interview like holy crap this is not just yeah. the, 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 the ways. That's one of my, my favorite part about it. And like, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're a man or if you're a woman, you have a place mm-hmm. in strength sport. And you, if this is something you want to, to pursue, do it. Yeah. There's something like it, it, it's it, like worst case scenario, you don't like it. And then you just recreationally exercise or just do it because you know that you, you should. And that's fine. <laughs> you don't even have to compete in order to be a power lifter. If you primarily train SBD, I consider you a power lifter. Even if you never step foot on a platform, I consider you a power lifter. I love that. Well, Claire, thank you yeah. so much for um, donating your time and, yeah. and coming on. Um, if you want to find yeah. out a little bit more about, about you or hire you as their, their coach, um, where can they find you? So there are three ways to find me. You can find me on Instagram at Claire underscore Barbell Medicine. You can find me at my website, which is com, And then you can find me on the Barbell Medicine website, which is www.barbellmedicine.com. And I'm listed under the coaches. That's a place that I forgot that I was not at the beginning of the podcast for those who remember. <laughs> so I'll include all those links in the show notes. And uh, again, thank you for coming on. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you guys for, for having me. Well, absolutely. This is freaking awesome. I love connecting with people. Um, yeah, thank if you, you. Thank you guys for listening to this episode um, and talk to you guys in the next, next one. Peace.